Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart. And as most of you know already, I have been in the process of writing my first book. It's called Mural Money. And today we're doing a extra special episode because I want to share a chapter out of my book with you. This is chapter number 22, and it's all about money mindset. And I think it's just a really good piece or chunk of the book to share. It's actually almost an hour long chapter. is It's very, very long. And it's right before the pricing chapter in the book. And I wanted to go over the mural money mindset or any, any kind of art money mindset because the beliefs that we have and whether it's, you know, money abundance or scarcity or whatever we've grown up to, you know, think of money as it affects our pricing. And so I just wanted to share a couple stories about you know, some of the money mindset shifts and blocks that I've had in the past that have I've had to get over and you know break through in order to price some of my projects above a thousand dollars, really, or two thousand, or three, or four, or five, or ten. You know, like there's there's just this money. <laughs> mindset that happens inside of me and inside of you. And it's all very different. So in this chapter, I really wanted to focus on the fact that we all have different thoughts around it and encourage you to dissect your own. And yeah, I show you how I dissect mine. And it's just a really cool chapter, I think. It's it's actually one of my favorite chapters out of the book, which is another reason I wanted to share this with you. I think it's one of the most important. And it's one of the ones that I'm most interested in as well, which is why it's almost an hour long. So I really hope that you enjoy this segment of it. And the book is currently finished. I wrote it in six months. And that was in hopes to get it to you before Christmas, which didn't end up happening. And I'm so, so, so sad about that. I wanted everybody to have a book wrapped in a big pink sparkly bow underneath their tree for the holidays. And But it just didn't happen. And I tried, but right now I'm just kind of going through the, okay, it's finished. We're going through the editing processes. I'm going back and forth with Amazon to make sure the cover is perfect. We're currently editing the audio version. And it should all be out sometime in January. I'm guessing mid-January, hopefully the beginning of January, but right now it's just, it's kind of, it's out of my hands. So I'm doing what I can, but <laughs> I'm just playing the waiting game and trying to be very patient because I'm just so excited for everybody to read this book <laughs> and because I put a lot into it and it actually ended up being a 461 page, so 31 chapters, <laughs> which is an almost 15 hour total audiobook. If I had to guess, right now we're we're finishing it up, but I'm guessing it's going to be about 15 hours, which is insane, <laughs> right? Like I was hoping to get a maybe seven hours, eight hours, did not think that it would go well above 10 into 15 or however long it's going to be, but it's long. And this book is thick. I got my first Amazon author copy to test proof and it ended up being a little blurry on the outside. So we're redoing it right now. But I was holding it in my hand and I'm like, holy gosh, like, <laughs> 
don't hold anything back. Why don't you? <laughs> There's just I as I was writing like all these different stories and my fingertips on the keyboard were just flowing. I went through this flow phase of just like, oh, I have to include that and I have to include that. And it was just six months of like obsession, especially in the past couple months leading up to Christmas. I just let it all out. And, you know, there's some stories that are a little more personal and some stories that are very business-minded and money-centered, but there's a little bit of everything. And I really hope you like it. I spent a lot of time on it and I paid my editors a lot as well too. And I've, I've made an investment out of this book because I think that it can really help people in 2022 and beyond. So anyway, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> it's not quite out just yet, but if you're listening to this in mid-January, it will be. If You can, you can just go to muralmoney.com. That's muralmoney.com, the title of the book. And you can get Amazon, Audible, Kindle, and all the book extras that I'm going to have too. <laughs> there are all these fun stuff. So anyway, here is chapter 22 of Mural Money. Chapter 22, Money Mindset. And the typical rags to riches story. I was the poor kid who didn't want to be poor anymore. And that motivated me beyond belief to never live that lifestyle again. I say riches lightly because I don't necessarily feel rich or consider myself extremely wealthy. I do feel as though there is no weight from money holding me down anymore, though. I don't care about how much it costs to fill up my gas tank. I actually have no idea. I don't even look at it because it's just what it is. And I'm no longer penny pinching or stressing out about what my credit card statement says each month. I have no credit card debt and I paid cash for my car. And and recently, we just purchased our dream property of 100 acres in Missouri. And my mortgage payment makes my parents cringe in disbelief, but <laughs> we are unfazed by it. You know, I know there's always someone above you and below you in life regarding finances. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we don't have a yacht parked on our pond or anything, but Lately, I've hit a sweet spot where I feel content and as though I'm right where I need to be. I'm comfortable. So if life stays exactly where it is right now, if I made no more money, I would be happy. But I often tell my husband, you know, I'm not going back. <laughs> it's like a joke, but but for real. And as an overachiever, and I'm, I'm not really sure when I'll stop, you know, reaching for the next level. I'm always going to continue to build but I have, a, I have a feeling I'll always strive for you know, bigger murals and larger brands to paint for. And I can see myself always wanting to help more and more artists achieve their full potential too, because I know <laughs> what it feels like. But as of right now, I'm at a point where life is just pretty great and I have little to no monetary worries. I never thought this day would actually come. Money scarcity versus abundance. So before I share with you how I set my prices and you decide how to set yours, let's talk about money scarcity versus abundance. So, Because whichever way you lean when you think about money will affect the way you price. My least favorite money scarcity term is more money, more problems. Ha, that phase is absolutely and utterly incorrect in my opinion, which I think it should be yours as well, <laughs> but let's go over it. You know, I was once one of those people who thought that growing a business would cause me a world of problems. You know, there was a time when I completely bought into the idea that having more responsibility would equate to having more problems. 
What I didn't realize is that I would, in fact, adapt and gain more knowledge about how to handle these problems as I went. These adaptions caused it to feel so much less like a problem and more like just doing business. You know, now I'm not stressed about taking on more customers or doing bigger projects. It's not scary like I once thought it might be. I'm slowly growing and you'll do the same. I'm sure of it. You know, there's no need to be scared of success if that happens to be a thought in your mind. Sure, if you're a scummy person or too lazy to prepare and educate yourself, then you'll definitely have a lot of problems when starting a business. You know, in general, even for those of us still trying to figure it all out, money does not equate to more problems. (laughs) In fact, money helps solve problems. For example, if something breaks, like your car, money can fix it. You know, having that extra cash in hand makes the accident a lot less harmful to my sensitive, worrying brain. You know, for me, making money was always about obtaining freedom and security. I wanted to be able to buy any plane ticket anywhere in the world and jump on it without my job holding me back. To be able to do that would mean that I had earned true freedom. Freedom also comes in the form of security. I like to know that I'm covered if something unexpected happens. You know, sometimes my brain conjures up, you know, dramatic stories and I worry about my house burning down or getting into a car crash or having a crazy medical bill. You know, all of those things that could cause a financial burden. It's nice to know that it can be paid for if anything catastrophic happens. Obviously, insurance helps with that, I realize, but it makes me feel secure that I'm able to handle it beyond what insurance may cover. If something big happens, I feel secure knowing that a financial hit like that wouldn't add any monetary stress to my life. I enjoy the mental peace that financial security gives me. I also want to put myself in a position to support my mom when she's older. You know, she's made it pretty clear that one day I'll need to pay her back for being an amazing parent. (laughs) I'm not being sarcastic here. She has done a great job raising my brother and I. My brother has his master's in chemistry and works in the cancer research lab in St. Louis. So she's pretty proud (laughs) that neither of us have gone to jail yet. (laughs) I hear a lot of people say, I have no interest in being rich. If that's you, then I have a couple questions for you. Do you like the idea of maybe helping your children with college or your future children? You know, would you maybe one day, you know, like to hire a nanny instead of, you know, sending your kids to daycare? Or would it be nice to have, you know, someone come into your home once a week and clean your entire house and fold your laundry? We have that and it is freaking amazing. I am never going back. (laughs) I would say that should be like number one on everybody's list. Hire a house cleaner that folds your laundry. Oh, it doesn't cost that much either. Like I think we pay like 200 bucks a month for to have our house cleaned (laughs) like twice a month. Anyway, would you like to come home from work and relax while spending quality time with your loved ones that, you know, your house isn't a wreck so you don't have to spend time with that? <laughs> Would it feel good to completely pay off your house and car? Would you like to be able to take a vacation, maybe away from home, but maybe a couple times a year, maybe two, three or four? <laughs> Let's dream big. Would you like to bring your family on vacation with you? Like it can add up. <laughs> Would you like to help your parents out with retirement when they are elderly? 
does giving back to the people who have helped you the most sound appealing? Would it make you feel secure to be able to prepare a big nest egg for your own retirement? If you answered yes to any number of these, then I'm not convinced that you don't care about wealth. If you answered no to all of them, then you might be in denial. (laughs) But I understand how incredibly privileged we are to even be able to talk about the ability to achieve these things. I've never experienced what it's like to be physically hurting because of the lack of money. You know, we've always had food and clothes, and that's more than the 9% of the world that lives in extreme poverty, living on less than $2 per day. There's always someone above you, someone who makes less. And yeah, so (laughs) I realize that this is a very privileged conversation, but let's jump back to the whole growing up poor thing. My little brother and I primarily live with my mom in a trailer that she bought after she and my dad separated. I was just five years old at the time, and to talk numbers, I think my mom made a bit under 30000 per year to support all three of us. And first, I need to say that I never felt like I was missing out you know, on anything as a kid just because my mom didn't buy me lavish things. You know, actually, in grade school, I felt spoiled because I felt like my mom was going above and beyond for every birthday and Christmas. You know, plus I knew that I was far from being the poorest kid in my class. You know, by comparison, things weren't that bad. I did know that money was tight. I knew not to ask for things at the store because my mom's answer would be, no, we can't afford that. And I remember the year my mom got a raise that took us from free lunches at school to reduced lunches. I had no idea what this meant until my mom explained that I make too much for it to be free anymore. I had no idea until then that free lunches were for poor people and reduced lunches were for the people barely making it. From then on, I remember taking a mental note when the kids in my class would hand in checks to the lunch lady to pay for a semester's worth of lunches. I remember thinking like, wow, I bet their house has stairs. (laughs) And that was my rule for being rich. If your house had stairs, then you were living the big life in my mind. (laughs) We did the free school lunch thing, but my mom, she never accepted any other type of handout or government funding. You know, the words food stamps uh, were not in her vocabulary. And she reminded us often that we had it much better than what she had growing up. And I just want to say, this is not like denote anybody who maybe grew up in a family that did take it. My mom just did not want to take handouts. And I ended up taking that on actually as I grew up too. I wanted to do it all myself. And yeah, that's a whole nother thing. But in late elementary, I remember everyone choosing an instrument to buy and learn for music class. It was expected that we would play at the concert at the end of the year at my school. And I remember the cost of the instruments being incredibly high to purchase of what I thought at the time. And I knew it wouldn't sit well with our you know, one income family budget. I told my mom that I wasn't interested in music and I did not want an instrument. I remember she asked, are you sure? My mom was trying to gauge my interest level for herself, but I reassured her I did not want to play an instrument. I remember then she said, oh good, those things cost so much. And then they just sit unused after you're done. She was likely right with her position. However, I was lying. I was interested, but it wasn't worth the financial burden in my eyes. I didn't even want to ask for it. I didn't want to put that on her. 
I still don't know how to read music. However, if I really wanted to go out and learn an instrument at this time, I could. You know, I don't blame my mom in the slightest. I'm very lucky to have a mom who cares as much as she does. And she has pushed me into every other sport and academic program available. I use this music story as an example of the kinds of decisions I grew up making with a money scarcity mindset. We lived in a small town where almost 40% of the population was in poverty. Neighboring towns had an even higher percentage. And there were a few kids in my school who wore the same shirt almost every day. And we all knew why, but we didn't dare say anything because we all knew that we weren't far from that lifestyle. Oddly enough, being poor and, quote, roughing it was the cool thing to do. Living simply was something to be proud of. I remember people making comments about others that they considered to be well-off or rich or the ones who had money. They would say things like, they don't know an honest day's work in their life or rich people are snobby, things like that. <laughs> and so as a kid, you know, you're influenced by that. So that's kind of what I grew up thinking. You know, there was this impression that the rich kids were unhappy and that they needed to buy all of these things that, to make up for it. Don't get me wrong, that small town was filled with some of the nicest people you've ever met. However, it took me a long time to heal and shake the rich versus poor mentality. It's kind of funny to look back at my perception of wealth back then compared to my current thoughts. After leaving that small town, I found myself in a variety of different wealth circles. I've gotten to know some very wealthy people and I've experienced the other side of those judgments. You know, not all people with money are like this either. Just like not all poor people are judgmental. This is just my experience. But I have heard some unfounded comments about poor people being lazy. And there's also this misconception that poor people without money are uneducated. <laughs> Even when I have no idea about who they are referencing, I have this strong urge to stick up for those poor people because that wasn't me <laughs> once upon a time. And I still know many people like that. And that's just not the truth. During these conversations, I often think to myself, don't they know that some of the nicest people I've ever met live paycheck to paycheck? Like, don't they know that some of the hardest working people live in tiny homes and drive cars that are 10 plus years old? Those people don't care about having new things or making money or do they? I don't know. Are they just doing what they know because that's what their parents did? I don't know. Some money terms I believe to be absolutely correct are money isn't everything. I agree. It's not. <laughs> Another one is the best things in life are free. Okay, don't misinterpret my obsession with freedom and security for greed. I'm not greedy. I'm well aware that my family and friends are worth more than my yearly income. You know, there's a time to grind and make money and do the hustle thing, and there's a time to focus on quality time with them. Third, you have to spend money to make money. Absolutely true. <laughs> Canvases, paint, and any other type of supplies cost money. However, it's not enough to just spend it. It needs to be spent wisely. In college, if my account dropped below $1,000, I would really start to get anxious. That's where my like money level was at the time. I was working while going to school. In addition to that income, I took out a small student loan every semester just to help pay rent and do groceries. And at the end of every semester, 
my account would drop right below a thousand dollars and I would start to wonder how I was going to make it through the next couple of months. One year, my dad gave me $200 for Christmas and I turned around and immediately handed it to my landlord to pay the rent for January. Thank gosh for Christmas and birthdays. But after college, I paid off all of the loans that I took out and went into a mode where I worked as hard as I could and saved as much as I could manage. For the first time in my life, I was making good money through my art. And at one point, I had over $60,000 saved up in my savings account with no debt as just a 27-year-old. I held on to that poor kid mindset and was so scared of getting my bank account below $1,000 again that I saved everything. When I was in saving mode, I hated the idea of spending money on anything, a business website, more classes, paint supplies, or even wasting time by practicing at home. I just wanted to be out making more of it. That mindset held me back. And it'll hold you back too if you're not careful. I understand that penny pinching is sometimes necessary and I'm definitely not encouraging anyone to rack up a credit card bill. However, allowing yourself to let go a little at a time to better your life and art business will pay dividends. It's called investing in your business. Or to put it another way, you can call it the cost of doing business. For example, Not creating a website because it costs money is blocking you from customers finding you and purchasing your services. If someone with a bigger company is recommending you for a job, they'll want to pass along your website to the manager and boss to look at. You would rather have someone pass along your professional site than your Facebook page. Trust me. Is your computer slow? and crashing every now and then? Are you putting off getting a new one because you won't want to add to the expenses? This was me not very long ago. Actually, my Mac was around eight years old and still ran great, except for the fact that it would freeze up every time I tried editing a large file. I didn't have the capacity for the videos that I was creating for social media and through the Artist Academy. I was doing a lot of videos. But almost weekly, I would have to do a computer cleanup and delete all the files to make room for new ones. At one point, I bought an external hard drive to try to sneak around the issue. However, every other time I went to save a large file, still, I would need to stop and move things around so I could save my work. The computer would often freeze and I would be wasting my time waiting for it to reboot. Finally, after a while, I had enough. I bought a new Mac with a very large built-in storage system and told myself, it's fine, it's a tax (laughs) write-off. I justified that purchase further by breaking down the price and how much time it would save me. I knew that this purchase of about $1,500 would last me for, what, five years or more? Macs are pretty sturdy. So at least five years, right? In turn, I would be paying $300 per year to have a computer that was faster and didn't freeze up and didn't give me a headache while trying to complete my job. I paid for it up front, but that investment saved me so much time. Therefore, it saved me money. Spending money saves time. So to further my point, I was making about $85 per hour at the time of the computer purchase. And to further my point, I was making about $85 per hour at the time that I purchased this new computer. I would have only needed to work four hours per year to pay for that computer. 
That's it. Those four extra hours would have likely been wasted anyway, waiting for my old computer to reboot if I hadn't, you know, purchased a new device. But more importantly, it just makes it easier to do my job and make more money. How many hours would you save by purchasing a projector? How many hours would you save by sketching on an iPad rather than with a pencil and paper? Let me tell you, that like undo button on the iPad, life-changing. <laughs> Saves so much time too. Would buying a phone with a decent built-in camera make your videos higher quality? Sometimes investing in what will save you time and help you step up your game is well worth it in the long run. I'm not saying to go out and buy the newest upgrade every year. You know, simply ask yourself, will this expense make me money in the long run? Or will it save me time or will it keep me from getting a headache? Will it help me love my job more? Which will in turn save money. <laughs> if the answer is yes to any of these, then just go buy the dang thing. You know, you'll make it back later. Eventually, I've slowly let go of this money scarcity mentality, although I would much rather save than spend any day. I know that my earnings flow freely in and out of my bank account. This allows me to live my life to the fullest with the most experiences. That's the money abundance mentality. <laughs> money is something I earn to use to better my life or the life of those around me. Recently, I've shed the money mentality block of ordering the cheapest item on the menu when I go out to eat. <laughs> have you ever done this? You know, so when you're at a restaurant deciding what to order and you have a few options to consider, do you choose the cheaper choice? I would. I would pick the cheapest thing every time. Like at least I had to like it, obviously. If I wanted the more expensive dish a little bit more, I would rationalize it in my mind that choosing the cheaper option meant I would saving money. And the idea of that tasted good. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, money scarcity mentality runs deep in me and maybe you. So let's try to maybe like unblock those. But Ryan has played a big part in helping me break through this mental barrier specifically amongst other roadblocks. One day I told him my food expense rationalization and he thought it was ludicrous. <laughs> Keep in mind, he came from like a upper middle class family and like his family is so great, but he's never really had like the money block thing. So I love to run my ideas past him. <laughs> but I remember he said, oh, just get the thing you really want. It's only what, like $8 more? <laughs> he was right. If I took $8 out of my savings, it wouldn't make that big of a deal. The joy I would feel from eating something that I loved rather than something that was just good enough would be well worth the small splurge. <laughs> I volunteer with Big Brothers Week Sisters every week and I don't stress anymore about buying my little dinner too, along with mine. Like I'm not hoping that she picks the least expensive item on the menu either. So I know that I've earned the right to do whatever I want with the money that I work hard to earn. It's taken me a long time not to cringe at the restaurant or grocery bill. <laughs> now I can buy a meal for someone else and not care about what they're ordering either. You know, I feel silly even saying this, you know, for so many to hear, but I know that it's important to share my journey and I'm wondering if you had those same blocks or something similar. I've had to make small mental jumps like this as I've grown and it has spilled over into my art business. 
Do you have any thoughts or past experiences causing you to have a money scarcity mindset? Let's dig deep here. Did anything happen maybe when you were a kid or a young adult that made you think of cash differently? Everyone has their own life-altering experiences. Maybe your money blocks are coming from the examples that others have set for you over time. You know, does it sound like a really strange idea to make more than your parents? Could you possibly make more than the people who have loved and raised you your entire life and you've looked up to? It's strange for me to think about making more than the people who have nourished me at a young age. And it was really a weird year when my annual revenue not only surpassed one of my parents' annual salaries, but both of them combined. I almost felt like I didn't deserve it because I know how hard they work for it. I've had a money block that had to do with being young as well. You know, it seemed wrong for me to raise my prices above the older artists in the industry. The only $100 per hour artists I knew were the ones in their 60s. I didn't feel like I deserved to be at that level until I at least doubled my age. (laughs) If we're being honest, you know, some of the older artists, I mean, they're better at painting than I am too. I mean, of course they are. They have more experience. I thought that I could never raise my rate above someone who had more experience than me. But I've learned that I can, and I did. I was supported by Ryan constantly nudging me to raise my prices, and I also did it based on demand for my work. I've had to do my own mindset, you know, work around being okay with wanting to make money as well. For a long time, I was fearful of people labeling me as greedy for wanting more. As I raised my hourly rate, I didn't want anybody to know, except for maybe my customers, but nobody else, my friends, no. I was fearful that they would whisper something like, like, who does she think she is asking for that much? Like, I dug up some psychological explanations behind this way of thinking and realized it wasn't just my upbringing that made me fearful of making money. Television culture played a role in it too. Cartoons even added to this insecurity. If you think about it, What about Cinderella? She was the nicest and most genuine person. She had nothing, while her stepmother and wicked stepsisters had everything, along with a very bad attitude. This is just my rich versus poor mentality, you know, media example. But example number two, think of Belle from Beauty and the Beast. You know, she grew up in a very small village with a father who earned a modest living. You know, life was simple. It was the rich prince who wound up with a spell cast upon him for not being kind. The poor girl had to come save the rich prince from his self-imposed prison. Who doesn't want to be a pretty princess? (laughs) Sleeping Beauty grew up simply in a tiny cottage, you know, in the woods. And these stories taught us that to be a genuine person, we need to have nothing. (laughs) To further the point, Cruella was this rich fashionista boss babe, business owner who greedily killed puppies for a living. (laughs) Like, Thankfully, Disney recreated the remix of the character, props to them on that, but I mean, we could just sleep our way to the top like the character in Pretty Woman. The luxurious Kardashians have been painted as dramatic, spoiled, and snobby because that's what gets views. You know, women especially are taught that money equals being a diva. You know, certain shows have painted the rich versus poor, mean versus humble picture in our mind. And like, don't even let me get started on the damsel in distress concept. You know, the idea that we should leave the money making up to the men 
no thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying that men have zero issues with finances, guys. This is not an attack on you. <laughs> we all have those memories and perceptions about money that we unknowingly stash away into good or bad categories. You know, perhaps someone borrowed cash from you and never gave it back. And now you have the money mindset that keeps you from being open or even talking about your finances with friends. You know, maybe you've made one bad financial mistake by racking up a credit card bill in your adolescent years and your credit score took a hard hit. And that one mistake could have shifted your mentality about your worthiness to possess money. As such, you may be preventing yourself from reaching success. If you can learn to paint, you can learn to be good with your finances. Like, let go of it. Maybe you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth and people constantly reminding you of your privilege did some damage. You know, this can also create a money block that prevents you from acknowledging your successes and taking pride in your achievements. There are many people who feel as though they can't be proud of themselves because they've had some kind of help along the way. You know, a money scarcity mindset isn't just for us poor kids. It's for everybody. You know, I used to talk badly about the kids whose parents paid for their college as if they were any lesser for it. I was so annoyed at the fact that I had to work a bit harder to achieve the same thing. Like I obviously thought that I was more righteous for doing it all on my own and being able to take all the credit for my success. <laughs> yeah, newsflash, ultra independence is a survival mechanism. Like people who grew up feeling as if they were abandoned or forced to do it all on their own grow up to be untrusting of the abilities of others. While it's a good thing to be independent, sure, it can also hold someone back if it's taken to the extreme. I once heard the saying that went went something like this, or this is how I perceived it in my mind. Like a person who sees themselves as helpless and asks everyone else for permission is considered to be weak. A person who does without asking permission and needs no help is to be considered able, right? On the other hand, however, the person who knows what needs to be done and allows others to help in the process is amongst the smartest of them all. Oh, I feel like I was being attacked when I heard that. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm sure the original quote is said quite a bit differently, but this is how my mind remembered it after some time. And this is just really stuck with me. You know, when I first heard, I was like my entire, like I can do this all on my own mentality was being ripped apart. Accepting help from my art business in the form of constructive criticism and shifting my money mentality has made all the difference. Think about the negative thoughts you've had around money and success and then let them go. Dig them up for a bit and then say bye, you know, forgive them. You know, for me, it was recognizing the why behind my actions that helped me begin the process of letting go of my inabiding beliefs. For some, it might take quite a bit of time and practice to exit those beliefs. However hard you need to work at it, just do it. Ask for help with it if you need to. Say the opposite of your negative thoughts out loud to block out those bad ones. There's no room for money scarcity where we're going. The car is packed and those thoughts are not going to hitch a free ride in our memory anymore. Getting rid of the money scarcity thoughts is what makes room for the money abundance mindset. We can't introduce a new positive thought process into a mind that believes otherwise deep down. Kick out the negativity to make room for the positive. Tell your negative thoughts that the rent is overdue and it's time to go. Do you believe that you can make $100,000 as an artist one day? 
Like, really? Do you? If you do, then you're more likely to take steps towards that goal. If you don't, you're probably just going to sit around and make excuses about why it can't happen. I have an eye-opening story from experiencing firsthand this type of thought process. One day, I was chatting with a friend who happened to be a financial advisor. We were talking about the possibility of acquiring life insurance, although I did not buy the package he was selling, but I did enjoy our chat about money. He was asking me where I was financially currently and where I wanted to be in the future. I confidently stated that I'll make a little less than 40k this year, but I'll be at 100k next year. <laughs> this was very much wishful thinking at the time. You know, I had no exact plan for how I was going to achieve that 100k goal the following year. I only had the thought that if other people could make 100k, you know, making art or doing anything, then I could too. In the previous months, I had calculated how much I would need to make per day to add up to that $100,000 within a year, and I specifically remember the exact position I was in sitting on my bed while I typed the numbers into my phone's calculator. The answer was $385 per day if I worked five days a week for an entire year. That number seemed outrageous to me at the time. However, I was prepared to work seven days a week if I had to. I had a goal and somehow I was going to figure it out. You know, I told my closest friends and parents of my goal to reach 100K and all throughout the year, I believed that it would happen for me. You know, at this time, I had maybe made just a couple of thousand dollars selling art at this point. I was mostly working promotional gigs that paid around $20 an hour or $200 a day. But the thing that kept me believing was that the doors of opportunity, they kept opening. I was surprised at the people I was meeting and networking with and then the jobs I was getting and then the places we were going. And I repeatedly met new people and continuously booked new jobs. And I felt like things were moving in the right direction, which opened my mind to other possibilities. So as luck would have it, <laughs> I signed papers with the outdoor store later that same year. You know the story from a previous chapter, but I remember being shocked and quickly doing the math by multiplying $45 an hour, which is what it was on my contract at the time, by the estimated number of hours I would be working each day that year. It equaled to around $360 per day this was just shy of the $385 I had calculated to reach 100K, but it was close enough in my mind. Little did I know, I would be working much more than 40 hours a week that year. And even though I had been saying my goal out loud for months, I was still shocked that it started happening so quickly. I wasn't exactly ready, but it was coming anyway. After a couple of years working at the outdoor store, you know, after it was time to spread my marketing wings locally, I said the goal out loud again, but added, I want to continue making $100,000 as an artist, but this time I want to do it while sleeping in my own bed at night. Being a traveling artist had been fun, but I wanted to have a life too. I started saying my goal out loud and getting scrappy all over again. You know, I spent a little over a year painting small local projects to help build my name, and I wasn't making as much, but at least I was home most of the time. I made about $40,000 that year, $70,000 the following year, and then back up to $100,000. <laughs> I 
It didn't happen immediately, but eventually I worked my way back because I believed that I could. And my business has only grown since. What would happen if you started saying your money goals out loud? I'll tell you. First, it would help you believe that what you're saying is true. You know, by saying it, you're ultimately talking yourself into it. You know, secondly, you're putting it out there for the universe to catch wind. I will say, I received less skeptical looks the second time I announced my 100K goal compared to the first time. This is because I had already achieved it once, although the second time was much more difficult because I did not experience one big stroke of luck. You know, instead, I had small wins that continued to add up the more I worked for it throughout a few years. Try saying a goal out loud and start with something small. Come on, what else do you have to do today? You know, so pick out a dollar amount and then pick a date. For example, I want to receive a $500 commission by the end of next week. I actually do this kind of thing all the time and it's scary how well it works. (laughs) Now, simply wishing isn't where the task stops. There's magic to it, but the luck fairy needs to see us working, right? The key to making money is to set a goal first and believe it's possible, then take inspired action. I wasn't saying I'm going to make $100,000 a year while sitting on my ass all year or working for someone else. I was out trying to make it happen. The way it happened wasn't always, you know, it didn't go as planned, but I was up and moving. Make a goal, believe it's possible, then try something you've never done before to try to make it happen. You know, go ask a restaurant to display your canvases. Finally, start painting and posting on social media consistently. Give the luck fairy something to work with. I just want to also warn you that these opportunities will come and you might be blocking yourself from seeing them. Let me explain. So after painting consistently for a while and building up my broad customer base, I decided that the perfect jobs for me were those around the $5,000 mark. These were typically big logos or murals or large canvas commissions, and pricing these projects at $5,000 gave me enough time to make them look really great without getting bored with it. So I'm no longer a fan of just showing up at the same job site every day for months. I don't know. Yeah, it's just not my thing. But I could finish these $5,000 projects in around five days or so, and life was good. So I shouted, informing the money gods of my hope to start receiving more projects like this. To take inspired action, something I did was, you know, besides the normal day-to-day, like I started, you know, resharing some of my bigger projects that I had done in the past on social media, remembering that people ask for what they see. I figured this was a good step. And a couple months later, I realized that I was indeed receiving a few of these $5,000 projects I had been asking for. I just wasn't seeing them clearly. I was undercutting myself when receiving these. So I was trying to give my customers a deal and pricing these bigger projects just shy of my goal. I was often shorting myself by a few thousand dollars sometimes. I was turning these $5,000 projects that were indeed coming at me into something cheaper than what I should have been. I finally came to terms with my own money block around the idea of being paid $5,000 for one thing. Even though I had been paid that amount in the past, it was still hard for me to quote those projects, you know, with such a high price tag because that price seemed 
a bit far up there. I felt more comfortable in the $1,500 range if I was being honest with myself. So when the bigger jobs came, I was simplifying the jobs without even being asked to do so. By doing this, I was making my $5,000 pieces into $1,500 pieces. <laughs> I assumed my customer had the same $1,500 budget as my mind did. And once I realized this, I corrected it for future projects. I thought, okay, now I'm really ready. Okay, bring it on. Let's do this. <laughs> Here's another story for you. One big, big goal of mine, like lifetime goal, has always been to build a big house on a piece of land in the country, just outside the city. <laughs> After bringing this up to Ryan, we made a five-year plan to buy a piece of land with the goal to build a house one day. We already had our eye on a 40-acre lot in Rogersville, Missouri, you know, just 25 minutes away from our current home, and we both agreed that the house would be modern with two floors, including a basement and a large deck out the back and a man cave for Ryan, of course. We also wanted an even larger art studio and something fun like a trap door or a secret room. And I remember when we made these plans, like I joked, I was like, well, we got to put in a cat door too, since we had just installed one in our current home. We were dreaming big and had full intentions to make that dream come true one day. We were planning to spend a little over $1 million on this property and new home. And the idea of that made my head spin. But we had time. Like we were playing the long game. I am fully invested in the long game. So I put the house, including the new art studio, on my vision board. I also added it to my Pinterest board. And I even made a mock-up of the floor plan. I was so excited. I was so obsessed. I shared the floor plan with my friends and my family. And even I put it on my social media stories. I was just like, oh, I'm so excited to one day be able to do this. So I also hung it up in my studio. So I literally printed it out and sat it next to my desk. And at the time, my entire studio was our spare bedroom. By now, I knew the power of saying my goals out loud. And again, I underestimated how quickly it could happen. To make a long story short, the land we were hoping to buy didn't turn out to be a sure thing. This sent us on a quick search just to see what else was out there with no actual plans of buying anything. Well, through a family connection, we were introduced to a retired couple wanting to sell their house and land. They had built a beautiful home on 100 acres out in Rogersville, just 25 minutes from our current home. And this house Happened to be built with two floors, including a basement, a large deck out back, and a man cave, of course. It also happened to include a very large empty space where I could turn it into an art studio. Also, it had a secret room under the stairs and a cat door. Huh. It was just as we planned, with a price tag of a little over one million. I thought, wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. I am not prepared for this yet. You know, although we didn't feel ready, we bought the house and property anyway. The process was smooth despite my head feeling like it was literally going to spin off my body. My thoughts kept telling me things like, I grew up in a trailer. I don't need this to be happy. You know, this is too much. I mean, this is exactly what I wanted, but now that it's here, I'm second guessing it and I'd feel much more comfortable if we just waited until we were fully ready like we had planned. 
For a couple of months surrounding the biggest purchase of my life, I decided that I needed to work my ass off to be able to afford it. In my head, there was no way I could have an easy work life and still be able to pay a mortgage like that. Despite the bank already having confidence in us and Ryan's constant attempts to calm me down, I painted more in those few months than I had ever done before. Quickly, I burned myself out. I calmed down eventually and realized how even without my added efforts, we were fine. (laughs) We were even able to still travel just as much as before. I thought that getting married and owning a home would steal away my ability to travel and explore. A part of me thought that being married, you know, would mean less freedom, but As it turns out, that's not the case either. You know, I completely made that up in my head based on other people's stories and experiences. And I forgot to take into account that it is my life and it's it's up to me to do with what I want with it. And I wanted to continue to take two months off out of the year, you know, to get away and explore. And I've been doing that for years and I still have no plans of stopping. Buying a house didn't change that. Getting married didn't change that. Like nothing has. And after exploring around 40 countries so far, I still have a bucket list of places that I absolutely must see before I die. Egypt, Argentina, and Norway are just a few and including every single country in Southeast Asia. Thailand is my absolute favorite, if you're wondering. (laughs) They say money can't buy happiness, but but we're pretty freaking happy with everything right now. And I mean, we were happy in a small house too. However, that happiness level has escalated a bit, if I'm being honest, since we've made the move. And I'm saying this despite the money scarcity voices still in my head saying things like, you can't say that kind of thing out loud. You'll seem materialistic. When these thoughts pop into my head, I combat them by saying out loud, I am not. I am just happy, you know, living my own life on my own terms. Oddly, sitting in a big studio helps expand my brain to dream even bigger. And I don't mean this in terms of like purchasing a bigger studio or bigger home, but more in relation to the art that I'm creating. We were barely moved in when I had the idea of hosting a mural meetup where members of the Artist Academy could stay with us and learn to paint. We had this giant space that we were about to purchase, so why not fill it with artists, (laughs) right? I mean, 30 artists showed up to help break in our new home, and we painted a mural project together in the next town over. Like, that's pretty cool. I mean, why do you want to make money? Be honest with yourself. Is it to afford nice things and wild experiences? If so, that's fine. Or does the idea of making more money per hour and ultimately working less sound tempting? You know, I've met artists who want to paint just one mural a week to replace their desk job. It's possible. Murals are very profitable. Maybe your dreams are extremely different from mine, whatever they may be. Let's get rid of the money scarcity mentality and welcome the idea of wealth into our lives. Even today, I still have a ways to go with my own like mindset blocks, but I no longer think of money or achievement as a bad thing. You know, I'm not greedy for wanting to live my life on my own terms, you know, which makes me confident to ask for and work for it. Everyone has a choice. I choose this. Giving quotes based on your own wallet. You know, we all have our own specific opinions 
about what things should cost. You know, growing up, I was unknowingly trained to try and get the best deal possible whenever purchasing anything. You know, sales racks and discount bins were often the first places I gravitated towards when walking into stores. We even went clothes shopping for summer clothes in the fall because that's when you would find them heavily discounted. You know, we linked cheapness to intelligence. That is, we thought we were smarter for finding things at a lower cost. I mean, it seems rational if you think about it that way, right? Stretching a dollar as far as you can go isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, I knew that I had to untrain my brain from this way of thinking if I ever wanted to make good money as an artist. Art is a luxury, let's just be honest about it, and shouldn't be given sale rack prices. There's a difference in thinking, I want to get a deal versus I want quality and I don't mind paying for it. You know, training your brain to accept that quality is often worth the money will have a positive impact on your art business. It's not enough to know, you know, what to charge people for your art, but you have to also feel and believe that your artwork is worth that price. You know, it took my husband repeatedly telling me that I was too cheap in the nicest way possible for me to consider raising my prices in the middle of a year. You know, we would compare the cost of what his business spent on office supplies to my mural prices. You know, it took a while for me to understand, but I'm thankful that I had him in my ear pressuring me to charge more. So now I want to be that little bug in your ear. Did you know the average price for a medium to large exterior lighted sign is between $20,000 and $30,000? Like average price. The smaller ones come in at around ten grand. <laughs> if you want to go small. But this this does include customization and installation. And many businesses pay to have these signs outside of their buildings. I mean, they're going to last for basically forever. And they're an important part of a building. But restaurants spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on supplies every quarter, you know, on expenses like cups, to-go boxes, napkins, the list goes on. My point is, Things cost money, and customers are familiar with the cost of doing business. It's okay to charge for your art, too. One year, I even had someone tell me, <laughs> pretty sure the quote was something like, hmm, come on now, you can charge more than that. <laughs> I was quoting a mural job for his office. <laughs> when that happened, I definitely knew that it was for sure time to change my mindset about my prices, not just giving people things, something that they can afford but quality. What's the maximum amount of money that you would spend on art for your home? Let's say you're out shopping for who knows what, and you happen to come across this big, beautiful piece of art. You know, you're amazed by the textures and the details. You cannot take your eyes away from it. You immediately think this would be a perfect fit for our living room or our bedroom or wherever. You're like, this is going to fill the gap in our house that I've been wanting. And you're just, you keep circling around back to it and you can't stop thinking about this piece of art. You grab the price tag and it says $100. Would you buy it? What if it said $500? Would you buy it? What if it said $1,000 for the best piece of art you've ever laid your eyes on? Would you buy that? What if it was $2,000? Would you buy it then? Remembering, you know, your obsession for this, what if it's $5,000? Would you buy it then? 
What is the maximum price you would pay for an exquisite piece of art that's just so you and just so perfect? You know, at what price did you stop when I was listing those prices and say, no, I cannot spend that much? At what price did you say, oh, hell no, I would never go that high? Those are your money limits. And if we're not careful, we will project those limits onto our customers. For example, (laughs) I was on the phone one day with a prospect customer, and he was telling me about a very large wall that his company wanted to have painted. The space was long and wide, totaling thousands of square feet. Like I had painted some big murals in my time, but this was much bigger than anything I had taken on so far. We were chatting about some possible ideas, but he didn't have really anything set in stone, and he wanted a ballpark price. Well, at that point, you know, the biggest mural I had ever done totaled about 20 grand. So I told him, um, it's, well, it's hard to tell, but I don't know, maybe about 20 grand. Is that what you're budging for? He quickly replied, oh gosh, I don't even need to get approval to spend 20K. Let's go much higher than that. I want detail with lots of elements. And <laughs> if we were chatting in person, he would have seen my eyes grow wide. <laughs> he was talking about a possible six-figure mural and I couldn't fathom it. You know, My mental limit at the time was 20 grand and... I was about to get stretched well past that. You know, still today, I find myself wanting to give my customers the best deal possible based on my own wallet. I want to make enough to live comfortably, but not so much that I feel as though I'm overcharging. There's been a few times where I would have, you know, I've given money back if I finished a job early. (laughs) I'm not advising that you do that. And I try not to let myself do that either anymore. I've done some money work since then, but there, because there's been jobs where, I've underbid the project and couldn't ask for more payment afterwards. So I take those slightly overbid jobs for what they are. And, you know, everything just kind of helps even itself out. I also do not agree with the idea that we should charge like people more if they have more money. So like charge rich people a whole lot. I've actually heard of businesses that charge the higher income level people, you know, a lot more than the lower income customers. And I've been asked this question before and was kind of taken aback by it. This way of pricing projects is not necessarily fair in my mind. You know, it would reflect poorly on your business if it was discovered you were doing that, you know, raising your prices just because they can afford it. I've been known to give charities a discount because they are doing more good in the world than the rest of us. Like they are spending their time doing the things that you know a lot of us won't. But sometimes I will give people a deal, you know, at my discretion if they are adamant about you know not being able to afford it, and I genuinely want to paint the mural for them. But the good thing about this art business thing is that we can do whatever we want. Like even with this freedom, you know, I like to keep it as fair as possible, as often as possible overall. Price progression. Let's talk numbers. (laughs) To give you an idea of how I've progressed over the years when it comes to pricing my artwork, I'm going to give you a breakdown by year. Year number one. At the age of 19, I changed my major and enrolled in art classes at Missouri State University. The first painting I ever sold was to my friend's grandmother. (laughs) She commissioned me to paint a photo from her Hawaii vacation and paid me $75 for it. I was so excited. (laughs) Year two, so age 20, 
I sold a class canvas project for $300 to my first grade teacher. Thank you, Miss Surprise. That's her last name, Miss Surprise. (laughs) It's like the best last name. (laughs) So years three and four, I continued taking art classes in college and I started doing promos for $20 an hour. Thought I just hit the lottery. And I was also very much taking full advantage of being a college kid and partying as much as I could handle. Year number five, I was fresh out of college, running a promo business and painting on the side. My mural rate was $30 per hour, and I received my first few logo commissions. I was over the moon excited about any opportunity. Year six, after painting a few things for customers around town, I, you know the story, I signed contracts with the outdoor store to start traveling, painting logos and lettering. I negotiated $45 per hour. And this was my first year as a full-time artist. So six years later. Year seven, I was working 60 plus hour weeks at different locations all over North America for the outdoor store and learning as much as I could during that time. After painting full-time for two years, I renegotiated my contract with the outdoor store for $57 per hour. I tried for $75 per hour, but they denied my request. You know, they were probably right to deny it because I still had a lot to learn at this time. Year number nine, as work with the outdoor store slowed down, I started spreading my marketing wings locally to try and branch out to other customers. I set my rate at $500 per day, but I really just painted anything for anyone at any price. I painted a lot of free and low-cost art that year, trying to, again, build up a positive reputation around Springfield. So year 10, business started to pick up. You know, that free stuff started to eventually pay off. My name started to get around, and I set my rate at $75 per hour. I was getting fairly steady work, and I was getting much faster at painting. So this seemed all right, although it very much seemed like a stretch. (laughs) Going from $57 per hour, which was about $500 a day, and then up to 75 so quickly felt very strange. But this is the rate I had asked for from the outdoor store, but was previously denied. I really enjoyed setting my own hourly rate based on demand and speed rather than asking someone else for permission to do it. Lesson learned. If you want to set your own rate, be your own boss. Year 11, business was busier than ever this year, and I raised my rates to $85 per hour. (laughs) Around this time, I decided to start a podcast called The Artist Academy Podcast to help give advice to other artists. Year 12, I raised my rate to $95 per hour. I was booked two months out with no signs of slowing down. I continued podcasting and mentoring other artists in the Academy. Year 13, I raised my rates to $100 plus per hour and was booking three plus months out. After growing my own art business, helping many Artist Academy artists go full-time and interviewing over 100 successful artists on the podcast, I thought it was time to possibly start writing a book. (laughs) Entering year 14 on my birthday, October 18th of turning 32 years old, this book became available for pre-order, and I truly believe that the best is yet to come. I wanted to give you this timeline as a way to inspire you and just show you the numbers behind it. You know, oftentimes it'll happen much quicker for you if you already know what you want to do and can take steps towards it, you know, because for the first few years of my painting career, I enrolled in painting classes at MSU because I had no idea what was possible. I was just 
finding my way. And that was just part of the process. And again, I'm not advocating for you to go out and enroll in college. You know, your learning path may be very different than mine. It may be faster, maybe slower, like everybody's different. But in addition, this timeline shows the progression of my rates. You know, so many artists that want to rush things and make $100 an hour after just a few months or maybe even a couple years of taking their art business seriously. It just typically doesn't happen that way, but it will eventually. So also, if you talk to anyone in year 10 of working for themselves, they're generally doing pretty well. However, if you were to talk to them in year one or two, they'll likely give you a different story. So I hope this timeline helps give you an insight into the numbers behind mine. And that's it. That is chapter 22 of Mural Money. And I hope that it got you thinking and it got those wheels turning and maybe helped you reveal some of your own money blocks so we can all move forward and we can all work on our pricing this coming new year and we're going to give it our all. I have a couple special things coming in January 2022. So after writing the book. <laughs> and after I got that off my shoulders, there were so many things I wanted to do that I just kept saying, okay, after the book, after the book, like all b- between cooking or, you know, doing any special projects or Netflix or anything. I was like, okay, I, I will do that after the book is done. <laughs> now that it's done, I get to focus on other things. This project that I am going to be working on in the Artist Academy, it's going to be some kind of up-level experience. Right now in the Academy, it's $32 a month, and it's designed to help artists basically just get started in the art world, you know, with murals, with prints, with all the things. I want to help artists go from zero to 100K right? I want to help them build a website, you know, just the basic stuff to get them going and to help artists out in the first couple years of, you know, trying to make this art thing work because it can be very frustrating. So we have a community and we have all of that. But this year, I want to offer some kind of up-level experience and I'm still working through it. I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to do it, who's going to be involved and all of this. But my vision is to have a small group, so maybe less than 10, that I meet with. And we talk about really up-leveling in 2022, especially in the first quarter. And I would like to meet with them and just discuss things like money blocks. But make it a more personal level. So in the Artist Academy, how it is right now, it's a, it's group coaching. And there are some that I talk one-on-one and we, you know, we message on Instagram and in the, in the group and all that. But I want to get on calls with people and I want to really dissect what's holding them back and why they're not having six-figure years yet and why they're not having five-figure months. Because I know that it's possible for a lot of artists, and we've proven that so far with Lissa and Chelsea and plenty others in the academy. Like They've gone from a startup to making these $10,000 months. And that's my goal for this year. I want to help more artists make those $10,000 months because that is really exciting to me because I have felt I am currently feeling the weightlessness of not having to worry about money as much, you know, not caring about all the little stuff, all the little worries that come with the the, the monetary worries. And I want to help other artists live a creative life and have financial freedom. So that's what I want to 
do in 2022. And I think a good way to do that is to work with those artists more one-on-one. And we're going to talk about specific plans for their art business and specific next level steps that they need to take. And this is based off of, you know, the journeys that I've took or, you know, the conversations I've had with other podcasters or artists and all of that. And if I can't help them, I'm going to bring other people in because as you've listened to the the podcast for the past three years that we've had it out, it's been almost three years. I have a very large network of artists who are just badasses and doing amazing things in the world. And so I can call on them, like people like Maria Brophy and just a variety of people. So if, you know, if an artist who is in this up-level group really wants help with licensing, I can do that. I'm going to start working with artists about NFTs. And I just want to create this up-level experience that's not as much getting people started because we have all of that in the in the Artist Academy. Like you, people in the up-level experience are going to know how to paint. They're going to not be needing help with their first customer. They're not going to be needing help making a website. None of the basic stuff. I want to work with the artists who want more. They have got a taste of it. You know, they're booking jobs here and there and they want more. They want to be booked out three to six months. You know, they want more money. They want, you know, to diversify their their income with different things. You know, like I want to work with the more high level artists a little bit in 2022, a little bit, a lot in 2022 and but also keeping the academy going, you know, so just two levels, you know, so for the artist who needs help just getting up and going, we have the Artist Academy. Super cheap, $32 a month. Like, that's so stupid affordable. And then we'll have the up-level experience. No idea how I'm going to price it. No idea what it's going to look like exactly. But we're going to start that. I'm going to guessing February of this year. I want to work with artists for 90 days at least because nothing can happen in a week and nothing can happen in a month, right? Like, you need time. And so, a 90-day experience starting in February. That's what's coming. I'll let you know more about it. But if you're an artist who wants more and you think this might be interested in you, message me and we can talk about it. And I also want feedback on what you need and what, what how I can provide for you because I want to hear, I want to get that text from you that says, I just had my first five-figure month. Thank you so much for assisting me. Or, you know, just that, those texts, I've gotten many of those. Those are just like, oh, like they just get me right in the heart. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's just, uh. so that's what I want to work on in this coming year and more about that later. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this chapter out of my book coming out soon. Yep, all the things. And yeah, I'll see you guys next year. <laughs> next year. Holy crap. Okay. All right. Hope you have a great rest of your week. I hope you party hard on New Year's or or relax or do whatever you want to do. <laughs> do something for you because I am taking a break currently and I'm just taking some me time and then I'm going to hit it hard in January for the 31 day challenge. Who's ready for that? <laughs> all right. That's it. Muralmoney.com to updates on the book, all the stuff. And I'll check, check you guys out next week. <laughs>